This podcast has been prepared exclusively for institutional, wholesale, professional clients, and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode. Good morning. This is Michael Sembolos with the July Eye in the Market podcast. So what's happening now is the world's recovering pretty rapidly from the pandemic. Uh, roughly half of the 17% hit to GDP that took place in the spring has now been reversed. Uh, manufacturing and service sector surveys are rising just about everywhere. Uh, the U.S. employment report beat expectations on new jobs, around 5 million new jobs, and the unemployment rate, which fell from to 11% from 16 the recovery in the leisure and hospitality sector is particularly a good sign given the impact uh, on those sectors from the pandemic. And when we look at our proprietary measure of hotel and restaurant credit and debit card spending, uh, they track the job growth pretty well. And from what we can see from the spending trends, the job numbers should continue to improve. And then most importantly for investors for profits, uh, there seems to be a lot of operating leverage at work. And this is something we cover in today's Eye on the Market. Essentially, after a recession, companies are able to generate outsized profits with very small revenue increases by managing expenses very, very aggressively. And we've got a chart in here that shows that after the SNL crisis, the long-term capital crisis, the tech bubble, the global financial crisis, and the oil collapse a few years ago, uh, there, the vast majority of earnings growth took place from operating leverage rather than sales growth uh, in, the, in the four quarters after a recession. So. Uh, take a look at that, and essentially what we're seeing is that uh, the, all of the economic growth and payroll and profit numbers have positive momentum, and the only thing that appears to be able to unravel all of that is the fact that the United States is now running the third highest infection rate in the world uh, when you look at um, the countries that make up around 90% or 95% of global GDP. Only Chile and Brazil are running faster infection rates right now. So there have been some state countermeasures like shutting down gyms, bars, museums, and, and some indoor dining. But most of the countermeasures in the states have been pretty mild relative to the restrictions that were imposed earlier. And what's changed, and I've been waiting to record this podcast for a few weeks, because what's changed is that a couple of weeks ago we saw rising infections but we didn't see any increase in hospitalizations or in deaths. And there were some theories floating around that were, well, it's mostly young people that are getting sick right now, that are, get, are being infected right now. Um, there's also more testing. So with more testing and more young people circulating, that's how you get higher infection rates without higher hospitalization and death levels. You know. There, there's a lot of theories out there. We weren't sure about that, so we wanted to wait a couple of weeks to see what would happen. And uh, the answer is mixed. Hospitalizations are now rising as well, uh, in tandem, particularly in the hotspot states, uh, as epidemiology would suggest that, that it would. On the other hand, there's also evidence, um, and not every state publishes information on this, unfortunately, but there's evidence from places like Tennessee that the increase um, in the recent population of people getting infected are younger and therefore are posing less risk for Tennessee hospitals. Um, so uh, there seems to be a little bit of everything going on. 
younger people are getting infected, but more people are getting infected in some of these states anyway and ending up in the hospital, um, and also more people are getting tested. Um, but the bottom line is that the testing, the testing spike does not explain what's happening in some of these hotspot states because a bunch of other states have similar testing rates and, and their infections are not soaring. So cutting through all of the data, it seems like the state governors have absorbed the blow of the rising infections and hospitalizations with some minor countermeasures and are relying on continued declines and stability and death rates for now to remain open. Um, if that's the case, the U.S. economy and equity markets may continue to, to, to gradually rise in the months ahead as we get through the summer. So that's where we're going to be focusing. Now, deaths may be stable uh, simply because of a time lag, and it's only a matter of time before they increase. I'm tempted to think that everything that the healthcare system and doctors have learned about anticoagulants and corticosteroids and things like that have, are also playing a role in reducing the mortality risk for severely ill patients. So uh, there's a, bit, a little bit of everything going on. Um, the, for sure, the death rate, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the infection and hospitalization rate spikes are extremely concerning. But until we see the death rates rise as well, there's a good chance that the governors will not take significant steps to reverse the reopenings that have taken place so far. The big question that I really find myself asking a lot is why has this, uh, why is the U.S. had this spike in infections and almost no other countries have had, certainly no other developed countries at this point in the process. There were a lot of high infection spikes a couple months ago, uh, but the rest of the developed world and much of the developing world figured out how to shut down this pandemic, and the U.S. has, has had a very difficult time, and, and as I mentioned earlier, is running an extremely high infection rate. Um, it, it's, there's not a lot of easy answers. We've looked at reopening dates, uh, and mobility changes, uh, in other words, how many people based on Google and, and uh, Apple smartphone app tracking, uh, going to restaurants, retail establishments, transit, workplace, etc. Uh, mobility changes, reopening dates, other behaviors uh, don't lead to consistently higher infections in any statistically meaningful way. I mean, you can find examples of when they do, and you can find a lot of examples of when they don't. And so, uh, this, this pandemic has defied a lot of efforts to neatly define um, the kind of behaviors that lead to these spikes in infections. Uh, New York's a good example, reopened a little over a month ago, and both the testing rates and the infection rates and the death rates just continue to fall in stark contrast to places like Arizona. So <coughs> I wanted to, to take a look at other ways of maybe explaining this uniquely American virus surge and just wanted to share uh, some of these findings with you. So most people know that the U.S. is, is really a leader in biomedical research and patents, and, and more than half of the top 40 universities for clinical medical research are in the U.S. And despite all of this, Americans themselves rank below most of the rest of the world on things like, interest, are you interested in learning more about science? Do you trust science? Do you trust science advice from government agencies? Do you believe in the importance and safety and utilization of vaccines? Uh, there's a lot of polling results that show that the U.S. ranks in the bottom third uh, on all of these things around the world. 
Um, the U.S. also ranked second lowest among around 35 countries with respect to belief in whether humans developed from earlier form of animals. Um, according to the National Science Foundation, over a third of Americans believe that astrology is either very scientific or at least sort of scientific. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of evidence of thing, uh, showing that Americans are somewhat ascientific. Americans also rank the highest in the world on measures of individualism, uh, which we've written about before. It's a cultural dimension index. And uh, basically it captures the degree to which people will act according to their own personal beliefs, irrespective of the impact it may have on broader groups. And I think that's also a, another way of trying to understand what's going on right now. So when you think about all these things, maybe it's not that much of a surprise that uh, Americans and their political representatives and a lot of Wall Street researchers misunderstood what the rest of the developed world figured out in May, which is to shut down a pandemic. Um, the last topic in this week's uh, Eye on the Market is uh, some follow-up Q&A from clients on the energy paper that we sent out last week. Last week we sent out our 10th annual Eye on the Market energy paper uh, each year. It's a major effort that we do. Vaclav Smil at the University of Manitoba is our technical advisor. And every year I get some follow-up questions from clients asking about topics that we didn't address. Uh, this week I addressed three of them because we got questions about low energy nuclear reactors, which um, in theory, and in theory, in quotes, uh, convert hydrogen to helium and give off intense amounts of heat with no radiation. We talk about that. We talk about renewable natural gas, which is made from landfills and other waste. I got some questions about that. And then we also got some questions about why the world is not electrifying its container ships, um, which use so much fossil fuel. So take a look. Um, and again, uh, we expect the global economy and the global, pro global profit uh, cycle to continue to march on. And the big risk right now uh, is, uh, is whether the death rates continue to diverge from sharply rising infections and hospitalizations. And I would imagine that in a month or so, we will shift our focus to the fall election. So thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Michael Semblis, Eye on the Market, offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblis is the Chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Incorporated. Views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended as personal investment advice or as solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. Please read other important information which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclaimer dash EOTM.